Number one, pre-call prep. Number two, making sure that you build rapport and have an agenda. Number three is qualification and understanding priorities. Number four is summary and getting agreement on what you have just listened to and being on the same page. Number five is the pitch. Number six is evaluating of the buying process. And number seven is securing next steps. Welcome to the Asia Growth Forecast by HubSpot, a podcast where we dissect successful sales strategies of fast-growing brands and show you how to grow your business in Asia. We talk with sales leaders from brands like Neom, Aspire, VMware, and Asana to uncover the secret sauce behind their sales motion and understand what it takes to win the hearts and minds of buyers in this region. I am Adarsh Narona. And I am Romka Volkoviak, and together we lead sales for HubSpot across Southeast Asia and India. We will be your host this season. And now let's get into today's show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Asia Growth Forecast. Today, we have an exciting and important topic for you. We're going to be talking about discovery calls. And in the world of sales, getting your discovery call right is an extremely important step to success. So today, we will not only talk about frameworks and strategies that make for a good discovery call in a region like Asia, but we will also listen to snippets of real-life discovery calls and extract lessons from it. For today's episode, I'm joined by Madison Carmody, one of our long-standing senior sales managers who you heard from in one of our previous episodes of Asia Growth Forecast. Welcome, Madison. We usually catch up on these topics over Zoom or in person on our one-on-ones or in a sales manager meeting. But today, I'm so excited to bring this conversation to our podcast audience today. How are you doing? I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me back. We're very happy to have you back. So I know you joined us on this show previously, but for the audience who might be tuning in to the show for the first time, could you please do a quick introduction and tell us a little bit more about yourself and your career journey so far? Of course. So I initially started in sales recruitment and I did that for about three years. It was a very traditional outbound sales approach, old school recruitment, if you will. And I heard through a client about the inbound methodology, which is the term that HubSpot coined and absolutely fell in love with it. So fortunately, I was able to move to HubSpot at a really fantastic time when we were opening up our APAC offices. So I started in our Sydney office about nine years ago as an account executive. And then I moved a couple of years later to Singapore to launch our office here and the sales team as well. So now I lead the direct business for the emerging markets uh, part of our region, which is predominantly Malaysia and Philippines. And I also lead our partner business as well. So it's been a, a fabulous nine years so far and excited for what's to come as well. Fantastic. We're super excited to have you today with us because you and I often chat about this topic that we're going to cover in today's episode, and that's mastering discovery calls. From uncovering true customer needs to building trust and rapport, discovery calls are the foundation of accurate forecasting, higher deal closure rates, and overall sales success. Simply put, a well-executed discovery call can be a game changer for any sales professional. So it is especially important now more than ever when the market is going through economic uncertainties that close rates, forecasts, etc. all this really hinges very heavily on the quality of a discovery call. So another reason as well we wanted to deep dive into this topic today is because in my experience, I find it particularly interesting that despite the abundance of frameworks and templates available for salespeople today, 
many reps are still running mediocre discovery calls. And hopefully with today's content and the frameworks that we have to share with you, with the audience today, we can change that at least a little bit. So Madison, before we deep dive into discovery call, can you tell us what is the real goal of a discovery call in your opinion? So this is such a meaty topic. The reason why I'm so excited about this topic is that the discovery is by far the most important part of the sales process. You can nail every aspect of your sales craft, whether it be prospecting, your call outreach, you can have the best product knowledge. But if you can't master the discovery, there are so many things that will be consequential because of that. You're going to be wasting so much time. And so for me, discovery calls really set the trajectory of your deal and will determine how you do everything else in the sales process. And what I love about the modern sales process is that you are all about adding value and really helping. Today, our goal is to really understand and identify a prospect's problem and whether your business can solve that problem conceptually. To really simplify the three things that I would be thinking about around a discovery, number one, does the prospect have a problem that you're looking to solve? Number two, is it something that your business, your product or service can actually solve? And number three, do they need to solve it now? And if so, why? If you can understand and answer those questions, you know that you've got a real business problem that you can solve with your prospects. You know you've got a legitimate deal. Are there any set of skills that you think sales reps can develop, which will help them to be, let's say, 10x better at running the discovery process? And when I think about skills to be able to master when it comes to building really strong and really engaging discovery calls, ultimately sales is very much a combination of art and science. I think everyone on the call is going to know that today, mm -hmm. but they say sales is really a numbers game, which in one hand is very true. But ultimately, if you want to be able to constantly improving and mastering your ability to see success, you need to be able to constantly be getting feedback on your discovery calls. You need to be able to start improving different skills that will enable you to have better conversations. And by doing that, you can have a higher win rate. You can have more engaging conversations. You can be spending your time with the right prospects and ultimately just be a lot more successful in your career. So a couple of things that I wanted to share in terms of skills Number one, point blank communication skills. Written and verbal are so, so important. And there's a few things within that that I always try and work through. Number one is storytelling. Mm -hmm. The power of story is so much more memorable than a statistic. And people often relate and that social proof is so important when it comes to sharing an experience about an existing customer that you've been able to help who had a similar issue and relating it back to the current prospect who you're trying to help with the problem that they're having. The other thing that I think is really important is that in my experience, uh, EQ or emotional intelligence is also very important for you to be able to determine who you're selling to and how you can relate to them. So that's really matching and mirroring different personality types to be able to suit that individual. Mm -hmm. So for example, the way that you sell to a champion who may not have authority to buy might be very different to how you speak to someone who is in the C-suite and can make a decision or the ultimate decision. The next thing is active listening. I want to dive deeper into this today because active listening is the key thing that you need in order to really understand 
if you're if you're actually on the right path with a with a prospect that you're speaking to. And the next one is business acumen, is the ability to be able to combine experience, knowledge, perspective, and awareness to make sound business decisions. So it's really a combination of things that takes a lot of practice and experience, but it's practicing good judgment. It's the capacity to consider a holistic long-term view of organizational needs and pull that back to the conversation where you're adding value to a current problem that you're speaking to a prospect about. And then the final thing that I would say is relationship building, which sounds obvious, but that power of the relationship is so critical, especially in competitive deals. People buy from people and you need to have that relationship in order to be able to uncover a good conversation with the people that you're selling to within an organization. There is lots of different skills. There is, you know, there is a reason also why so many salespeople are still struggling with uh, having a great quality discovery call. So just to set the scene a little bit more and help our listeners to become better in that skill, in that skill set, can you give us a framework for what does a great discovery call looks like? For us and the framework that I find to be the most successful is for you to be able to have guardrails around what steps you take throughout the entire conversation. So most successful reps that I've seen take a process that is relatively fluid in the way that they conduct their sales conversation. So it doesn't feel scripted. It doesn't feel interview style based. It feels very natural, but the people who are mastering the discovery have a very rigid framework that they're taking them through, which makes the prospect feel like they're in control of the buying process, but really the sales process is dictating the conversation. The sales rep is dictating the conversation and the mastery of the discovery is based on the framework that I'm about to share. There are seven steps. I'm going to run you through them. Number one, pre-call prep. Number two, making sure that you build rapport and have an agenda. Number three is qualification and understanding priorities. Number four is summary and getting agreement on what you have just listened to and being on the same page. Number five is the pitch. Number six is evaluating of the buying process. And number seven is securing next steps. So to double click on those seven steps, I want to walk you through just a quick overview of what they typically look like and where I've seen the most successful reps be successful. So the pre-call prep, I think Romka, we should definitely dive into this, mm -hmm. but really this is all the work that happens before you even get on the phone with the prospect or the existing customer. You don't want to be that person on the phone asking questions that you could have found out from the internet. The power of prep is so important for social proof, contextual storytelling, and it also just shows that you've done your research and you care about this prospect. Yeah. So I talk about three things when it comes to prep, what I've seen, seen work in the past, the history, the company, and the people. So when you're looking at the history, do we have an opportunity or have we had an opportunity with this prospect in the past? Mm -hmm. What was the use case? Why didn't they buy? Was it competitive? If it's a company, just understanding how they make money, how do they operate, who are they selling to, have they raised money, um, do we have an existing customer that we're already working with that we can reference to build credibility and more social proof. And then, of course, people, which is mutual connections and understanding a lay of the land of who's who within that business. Yeah. The next piece is rapport and the agenda. So rapport is something that I feel most people give it a bit of an oversight. They sort of roll their eyes to the idea of rapport, but I think it's so important. You want to be genuine and relevant. And like we spoke about, people buy from people and that relationship and that rapport will go a long way, especially in competitive deals. 
And ultimately, the agenda is just a verbal agreement between you and the person or group that you're speaking to. So we want to be able to use the agenda to quickly and concretely define the purpose of the meeting and set expectations for the outcome of the call. When we think about qualification and understanding the priorities of an organization, this is the meat of the discovery. Mm -hmm. This is where we want to be spending most of our time. And this is where the active listening really kicks in. So according to Gong, it's top performers listen more to their prospects with a talk to listen ratio of 46 to 54 during discovery calls. Oh, wow. Interesting. And it tells you something. It means that the person is in control of the conversation, asking great questions, getting a bunch of information, Hmm. not trying to pitch and just, you know, sling features, as I mentioned earlier. The power of listening is demonstrated by having these great conversations and and really having you have two eyes and one mouth and mm-hmm. we want to we want to keep it that way in a discovery call and qualifying a prospect really the goal is just to ask a string of questions to explore if they're a good fit the next couple of things is summary and agreement making sure that we recap what you've heard to confirm alignment so many people don't consistently get buy-in throughout the entire conversation. They just sort of continue to brush through and rather than reframing and coming back to making sure that we're on the same page midway of the conversation, we just continue to brush past that. So summary and agreement is really, really important. The next thing is your pitch. So tailoring the position of your product to match what you have just heard. Hmm. There are so many different things, and I'm sure, Rumka, you've heard this as well, whether it be a transactional deal or a large, very, very complex deal. We have the power of using that discovery as the cheat sheet of information of how to frame your product based on what you've just heard. Where people go wrong is really listening to an amazing amount of information from your prospect. And then when it comes to the pitch, doing a one size fits all, which tends to really dilute what you've heard. It doesn't create for an impactful solution because you're not tailoring anything to what your prospect has just said. So the pitch is really important to be able to tailor that conversation. And then the next two things is evaluation and buying process. This is where we're asking for feedback and getting the decision-making process. And of course, next steps is essentially locking in the next meeting, making sure the right people are in the call and setting the agenda up front. This is what a perfect discovery call looks like. Now, in your observation, Madison, can you tell me where do you see reps usually going wrong with discovery calls and what is the impact? That there is a sales process and a buying process. And the reason why you hear salespeople being so successful is because they have practiced, practiced, practiced. And sometimes (laughs) I find when you have lots of different discovery calls or you've been in the game for a while, you sometimes can go through the motions. And for me, what I find is you've got to think about the prospect who's entering into their buying process for the first time. They've never heard your pitch. They've never been asked that question. They've never been challenged on the way that they think about their business problem. As we've mentioned, the goal of the discovery is to truly understand if there is a problem that your product can help solve. And so for me, going through the motions and having a mindset of trying to close rather than qualify are the things that tends to go wrong. The only other thing that I will mention is that similar to any sport, The way that we improve is by reviewing what has worked and reviewing what hasn't worked and making tweaks around that self-assessment. One thing that I've seen average performers do is bypass any sort of self-reflection. So 
<laughs> where I see them going wrong is that they don't yeah. review their own performance enough. They don't ask for feedback. They don't have a mentor. They don't coach. They're not coachable or they're not asking for coaching and they're not listening to how other people are successful, especially working from home. We need that sort of analysis because we're spending a lot of that time solo and essentially we're going to be able to make a lot of mistakes because we're not getting that feedback. I think that's uh, that's very true, especially I can't agree more uh, with your last point here. If we're trying to get better at something, it's always good to have a mentor. It's always very valuable to be able to ask for coaching. So to all salespeople out there, think about it. Ask your colleagues, ask your manager. It's good for you to try to see yourself as well, how you are performing on calls with customers uh, when it comes to discovery call. And I'm sure there's going to be a ton and a ton of learning. And the other piece as well is just like we mentioned a few minutes ago, there is an impact. There is a huge impact when it comes to running uh, a good quality discovery call. Your pitch is going to be tighter. And the moment your pitch is, is tighter, then the value of your product shines through much stronger and that is going to increase the, the win rate in your deal. Then also not doing a good quality discovery call also can lead to a much longer sales cycle in that particular deal and with and a conversation with that particular customer, probably longer than, than, than it has to be. And then you also, if you're not focused on your own coaching and skill development, you will start making or you will just continue making the same mistakes over and over again without really knowing what goes wrong. Absolutely. And the thing I love about sales is that you can do the same call multiple times. You can have so many opportunities to practice and master, but where people go wrong is not taking the opportunity to actually slow down and look at where they could have improved. So using it as a way to continue to be open to learning and seeing every call as an opportunity to improve is the where I see the most successful reps having that level of my, that mindset to improve. For those companies that are publicly traded companies, it's just very easy to reach into their annual report and really read through some of the strategies that they have had for the year and strategies that they will be focusing on in the future. All is in there and probably in the first eight to 10 pages of the annual report. Annual report I find is always very scary for sellers. It really shouldn't be. We don't have to read through all 120 pages of numbers. That is not necessary. The first few pages with the strategy, with the letter from the CEO, there is already abundance of information that can be utilized during that conversation. Mapping your stakeholders is another element that is extremely important. It is important to know who do you need to connect with during the sales process. Who is going to be part of the buying decision and who is the ultimate decision maker? Another piece when it comes to information gathering that usually I feel salespeople are really riddled with, how do I know I have enough information? Have I gathered enough or I don't have enough and I need to still ask uh, many questions? And that sometimes that can lose a salesperson in that discovery call that starts feeling like interrogation because they just keep asking. 
and it doesn't have a great feeling on the other side when you are a customer and you just need to keep on giving and, and relieving more and more information. I think it's a really good point where it starts to feel interrogative. And especially for new reps, when we haven't got a lot of experience, you might just use the script that the business has given you and you just ask every question under the sun. Absolutely. But we, we know that, especially when you're speaking to C-suite, they don't have a lot of time. A lot mm-hmm. of businesses will not just reach out to your business, they'll reach out to multiple companies. So that prep work that it takes to understand and make assumptions before you even get on the call of what are the questions that are going to be the most relevant, I think is absolutely critical. So one thing that I found to be really, really successful is making sure that people that are asking the questions, the sales reps that are asking the questions, they need to go deep on a problem and Mm -hmm. stick with that one problem rather than going so wide that you cover everything, but you actually get nothing. Absolutely. And then the relationship suffers. And then that person doesn't want to take another call with your salesperson because they just didn't feel great during that conversation. The other thing as well is that we need to probably most of the time do it more than once because discovery process is not just one discovery call. It is most likely, especially in in upper in upper part of the market business and in enterprise business, more than just one stakeholder. What is interesting for us to know, I'm just going to share quickly uh, a data shows that an average on average there are nine people taking part in a decision process. Uh, for a purchase. For smaller companies, most likely it's going to be two or three. For larger companies and enterprise business, it might be even 20 or even more than that. So if you have on average nine people taking part in the decision-making process, discovery call cannot be just one with one person. It will also call for having your stakeholder suite covered when it comes to discovery perspective So we need to be able to build that relationship in a strong way. And that's not through interrogation. So going Mm -hmm. wider and asking for that point of contact to broker an introduction, especially if they're a champion to different departments or different case stakeholders is absolutely critical to make sure that you are not just solving one person's problem, but you're going wide within that whole organization. Before we move into the next segment, here is a quick word from HubSpot. Is your software bill out of control? You're not the only one considering a breakup with your tech stack right now. Let me introduce you to HubSpot CRM. It's the best platforms to speed up your sales and scale your business without blowing your budget. HubSpot's powerful CRM helps you automate tedious tasks, keep track of all your deals in one place and make sure your whole team has access to the same data. And best of all, you can try before you buy. No commitment, no hidden fees, not even a credit card is needed to sign up. Learn more at HubSpot.com. So Madison, we spoke about the framework of what constitutes a great discovery call, best practices, the importance of great discovery call, what kind of skills set apart salespeople who are doing it right, doing it great in a great way and, and those who don't. So now I just want to give our audience something that they can apply right away. Because from my experience, even though there are a lot of frameworks available online, like band, medic, etc. And you can easily get hold of a list of questions to ask during discovery call from Google. There are many question banks out there that we can borrow from. What's surprising in that is that a vast majority of reps still run a subpar discovery call. So clearly there is a gap and I want to dive into it a little bit more right now. What are the missing pieces if you can talk to us a little bit about that? 
yeah, there is so much information out there. So you want to be able to have a growth mindset to continue to absorb and continue to be able to stay on top of your craft. But for me, what I wanted to dive into today was a few examples of the one percenters that may sound elementary, but if you can master these, you have so much more control over your process mm. and so much more value that you can add to the businesses that you're speaking to because you are truly mastering that experience. And you can tell from your buyer's perspective, people love when they're in a good discovery. They love when you know what you're doing, when you can Mm. advise and direct and be trusted with helping solve this problem. The conversation is so much more two-way and so much more engaging. So today I want to give a couple of different examples of how you can set the stage for more control in your discoveries to ultimately lead you to more success. I'm wondering, Madison, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, if you have any snippets with you today that you could share with us as best practice. I definitely do. And the reason why I did that, it's all theory unless you can hear it in real life and apply it in your sales craft. I'm going to give some examples of what different agenda settings sound like, and then hopefully, Rumka, we can go through and dissect them together. Maybe to set the stage just up front. So the agenda is very, very critical. And the reason being is that it establishes rapport, it inspires trust, and it builds efficiency. So many people overlook this step. And what that means Mm. is that we often get off topic or lose control. And if you've set a really good agenda up front, you can come back to it at any point of the conversation so that you can regain that credibility and control while engaging in a discovery call. Great. Okay, let's do it. For sure, yeah. Happy to share more because actually previously I also did reach out to to share about how um, HubSpot actually helps the travel and hospitality businesses uh, with, you know, like their marketing or their sales goals. So yeah, really happy to be able to like share, share some like examples today, but also to understand from your side, how you actually, you know, um, marketing, doing like you doing your marketing, how, what like tools you are currently using and how that's working out for you. Ramke, before I dive in, what do you think? That was a pretty interesting example over there that uh, gives us, that leaves us with a little bit of an opportunity to provide more agenda and add a little bit more control into the conversation for the sales rep. If there is no agenda, then it's going to be very difficult to for the sales reps to keep uh, the conversation on, on track. And also agenda helps uh, as well to build already that rapport uh, with the customer and give the impression that this call, this call is going to be very well organized. It has been thought through in advance and uh, there is a specific thought process uh, that they can expect. I think that's a great point. And you, you mentioned the word organized. I think what we covered in this agenda was a good overview of what to expect, but it was done in a very casual way that may be up to interpretation or it may be different based on who's listening to it, how they'd interpret the call, which means that if you don't start strong, it means that you won't have control throughout the entire conversation. So in that discussion, we we heard what were some of the key things they wanted to cover today, but they were missing what they were hoping to gain from the discussion. They were missing what was going to happen after the discovery call And it felt almost like the agenda was a part of the rapport building 
which is a very easy thing to do. The agenda needs to be very actionable. It needs to be memorable and it needs to be clear so that everyone on the call, no matter what role you're in, knows exactly what this successful call should sound like. That was a, a good call that obviously gave insight into what they were hoping to cover, but I think there could have been more to organize and to set clearer expectations. Amazing. And do you have perhaps an example with you today that is hitting all those points? Funnily enough, I do. All right. So it's the first time that we are speaking. So mm -hmm. maybe just to give like a quick introduction of myself and set context for today's meeting. Mm -hmm. um, I'm and I am your assigned account manager. Now, this is our first chat, right? So typically for the first time, uh, we just want to keep things quite discovery and exploratory. I just really want to understand exactly where your pain points are, what your goals are, and then mm -hmm. we can see whether HubSpot can actually even be a good fit to help you out here. So mm -hmm. the end goal is that hopefully by the end of our 30-minute session today, we can figure out whether HubSpot subscriptions can help you out. And if so, which one it is and what the investment required will be like. Okay. Um, and if it's not a good fit, don't worry as well. I will definitely tell you because I don't want to waste your time as well. And we can just part as friends. Okay, sounds fair. Like I mentioned, this is a call that really demonstrates that this person has seen the movie play out. There was a lot of control in her tone it was a clear introduction. It was formal. It very much sounded like she had done this before and was in, in control of the discussion. What I found as well, what I really liked about this is that it also demonstrated exactly what needed to happen. So basically she also set the expectation that she was going to qualify if they were a good fit for HubSpot rather than them just being a person who's coming through the sales process who is probably going to buy this product. So I thought there was a really nice trust that she had built through the way that she set that agenda. Yes, definitely. I absolutely agree with that. There was full control over that beginning of the conversation. And also what I really liked about it was that there was an expectation set that we are here to help you. We're talking, we're going to talk about the pain points and goals and hopefully we can align. But if we don't, then we can part as friends as well. And that's what I really liked about it a lot uh, here because it also doesn't put a pressure on the conversation. It also immediately makes you feel that yes, it is going to be a conversation, not an interrogation with many questions fired up uh, towards the customer. It is really more of a conversation about goals and, uh, and challenges. I really loved it. Me too. The only thing that I would say both calls didn't have, which I find a lot of people miss, but it helps with the talk ratio is asking an open-ended question after you've set the agenda to get the prospect speaking first. Because often mm -hmm. there can be a bit of an awkwardness going from a really formal agenda to a discovery questioning, which is usually the next step after you go from that discovery. So one thing that I would always suggest is asking questions, an open-ended question like, what are you hoping to get out of this call? Or how can I make this a productive use of your time? What are the key things that you're hoping to take away from the discussion over the next 60 minutes or whatever the conversation length is. Exactly. And that way you can start the conversation where you can meet the prospect where they are with hitting the most important things first. 
And it really is a beautiful opener to be able to start an interesting dialogue. And the prospect, of course, then feels heard because they are diving straight into the things that they have shared are the most critical things for the conversation. Let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, We spoke about active listening as well. And that's something that is not exactly very tangible when it comes to trying to improve as a skill, right? So we'd love to see if you have any snippets for us today to share within the area of active listening as well. I think active listening, we've touched on a little bit today, but it's really comes down to the qualification and understanding of business priorities. If you're not active listening, if you are going through the motions, you tend to miss the meat of the discussion. And so what I'm hoping that we can do today is actually go through a snippet where the prospect, if we can listen to that part of the conversation, actually feels so validated and so heard after this recap. So many times in life, we are not listened to, we are not heard, we are not understood. And when someone, especially in a sales environment, can re-paraphrase what you have said and that prospect really feels heard, There is such a power in that because all of a sudden this person is going, oh my goodness, this person's listening to me. They get me, they understand, and they're here to help. It's a game changer. So what I'm hearing is that it hasn't exactly generating the best traffic for you. And even if they have, your cost by acquisition seems to be higher than the average lifetime value of that customer that's being acquired, Uh, which is why right now, rather than relying on marketing to bring in the sign up, your sales before uh, you are looking to build a sales team to actively reach out to these uh, sellers or Lazada and to prospect them. Is that correct? Yeah, you got it bang, bang right. That's right. Yeah. It's such a great example of summarizing and paraphrasing, which is very often missed as, uh, as deemed as unnecessary because it repeats just the same thing as the customer said. But the thing is that we do not always understand exactly what the customer is saying. So we might be interpreting the information that we are hearing and we are walking away, therefore, with some different, slightly different facts than the customer actually meant to to share with us. So I thought that was a fantastic example of paraphrasing and summarizing where the customer as well is is feeling heard. And uh, and also you you can tell really really last bit of a second over there that the customer got excited and they and they said yes you are bang on so that's also a great way of building a relationship here really love that example so the other thing that i wanted to mention that i have found worked really well to get your prospects speaking about a problem that you know that you can help with is using a hack or a tool that is repeating one to three important words sounds very simple but Often we want to sound credible, we want to sound important, we want to sound like we know what we're doing. And with that, we use lots of big language, we craft these really beautiful, intelligent questions, which sounds great, but really it's a lot easier if you just repeat and paraphrase what your prospect has said. So for example, if a prospect says, oh, you know, it's hard for us to measure ROI as we've got so many different systems and it's really time consuming trying to pull off all the info we need to determine what's working and what's not. The sales rep, all they need to do is to reply time consuming and the buyer will say, yep, it takes days of manual work to present our monthly report and it's often not telling the full picture. The sales rep could say the full picture. It sounds very basic, but Mm. you're going deeper 
you're using their language, you're acting with a level of really interested curiosity, and it will force the prospect to tell you more, which will get to the heart of the problem that you're trying to uncover in the first place. I love this hack. Absolutely, absolutely love this hack. And I think that a lot of our listeners will be able to draw on that and start using it immediately. Let's switch gears to evaluation and buying process and securing next steps. I think that was also one of the more important pieces of discovery call process that you that you mentioned. And do you have any best or better practices to share on, on that one? This is where I spend a lot of my time coaching. And mm-hmm. You think about as a sales leader, leading indicators versus lagging indicators. A lagging indicator, what you'll see in your sales team is a lot of deals getting stuck or there is a bottleneck within your sales process where the entire sales process has been done. You're at post-demo stage if you're in the SaaS world or selling a, a product. And the only thing to do left is to be able to get the prospect to sign. And for whatever reason, The prospect feels like it's fallen off the face of the earth. You can't get in contact with them. They're not replying. They've gone completely cold. And the sales rep often is sitting there wondering, what did I do wrong? That is a lagging indicator. The leading indicator is actually not doing a good enough job on the discovery to be able to dig into the uh, evaluation process and identifying the, the next steps in order to continue the conversation. Often we need to be looking at the discovery and that ne- those next steps in order to regain control after the discovery call. So one thing about securing next steps is a, a tactic that I find works really well is the give-get. Everything in sales is the give-get, and that's where you can inch closer to the close at the end of the day or the end of the sales process. And so for me, one thing that I'll often find reps do is that they give all of their information away. They give all, they'll, they'll give everything. They'll give the demo, they'll get executive sponsorship in, they'll go above and beyond to help with setting up a trial, but they're not using that give as an opportunity to get something in return. And a get might be understanding what the decision-making process would look like or not getting a decision-maker involved in the conversation or not locking in next steps for what happens after the demo or the trial or whatever it may be. So we're going to listen to a quick snippet that demonstrates the use of give, get to help with driving the conversation forward. I'll send this across to you. So you've got it and you're welcome to share it with your team. If there's questions, um, feel free just to reach out to me. When would you suggest we reconnect to follow up on this? I'm conscious I used an example that I did, Trying to practice what I'm trying to <laughs> practice what I preach here. But by doing this, it helps with ensuring that the prospect isn't feeling like they're being sold. What you don't want to be doing is anchoring around your own time frame because you want to close a deal. You want to exactly. be anchoring around a time frame that works for them. So you want to figure out when are they looking to implement a strategy to solve the problem that they're facing and almost reverse engineer what steps need to happen between now and that date that they've anchored on. So by having these little mini homework sessions, these give gets, it helps with just creating your process to get one step closer to the date that they've shared with you. And because you've uncovered so much information in the discovery, 
if you are off base or if your timeline is getting pushed based on what they've shared with you, that gives you an in to basically go negative to say, hey, you mentioned to me last time on the call that you wanted to implement this strategy because of X, Y, Z. And if you don't, something bad is going to happen. Implications, Mm -hmm. consequences. You were going to review these notes with your team. You were going to get your other departments involved in the conversation. It feels like you haven't done that. I assume something's off or the timeline has changed or your priorities have changed. Can you tell me more? Great ways of uh, turning back into that conversation with the customer and making sure that exactly you you give, but you also are going to get without really feeling of a, of a transactional conversation, of a selling conversation in progress. I, I absolutely love that. Thank you for sharing all these snippets. And there, there's been so many great examples over here of best practices that I'm sure our listeners are going to find plenty of best practices that they can start acting on at the moment. The final thing that I wanted to share that is in relation to the give get, but also more just a mindset when you're thinking about a discovery is that just because someone has entered into your sales process doesn't mean you need to take them all the way through. So we've spoken about someone going through the motions of going from a connect call to a discovery call to a demonstration to a negotiation call, whatever that process may look like, that framework. One thing that we need to do and where I've seen a lot of people waste a lot of time is just going through those motions and not disqualifying along the way. Hmm. Salespeople have typically a high level of EQ, a lot of emotional intelligence, and they usually have a good read on people. I just Hmm. wanted to call out that sales reps need to follow their intuition and they need to go with their gut. If they feel like something's off, they're probably right. And often I've done this so many times where we do a recap of a deal that didn't close or, you know, it, it didn't go to plan. And the sales rep will turn around and go, yeah, I thought, I thought that was the case. I thought that was going to happen. And so my question always is, well, why did you go all the way through? And a lot of it comes down to the hope or the wishful thinking, but ultimately you need to be able to speak to people who are serious and legitimate, who are motivated to make a change within their business, because otherwise the sales rep is the one who wastes their time and they're the one who usually will end up being disappointed at the end of the process. So the thing that I wanted to just more call out is from a time management perspective, you need to, as sales reps or sales leaders, need to really value your own time as much as your prospects. And when you start to do that, you show up differently. There is almost a a level of confidence that you are projecting onto the sales process, which will actually build a lot more credibility and a lot more confidence. I find in this part of the world, comparatively to say the US or Australia in my experience, is that people have a hard time saying no. And that is often due to cultural sensitivities or cultural nuances. And because the sales rep isn't hearing no, they're assuming that the answer must be yes. And this is where I find that so many deals go cold and we end up going from this really consultative, helpful salesperson that has this great relationship with prospects and is adding all this value. And then they've given all their cards, they've run their entire sales process. The only thing that's left is essentially getting them to buy. And all of a sudden, because they've, the prospect has gone cold, they turn into this pushy salesperson. They go to the old school tactics of harassment, basically, or just <laughs> continuing to like push and push and push. Where really, if we push so many times, one thing I wanted to introduce our listeners to, if you're not already doing this, is going negative. 
So just because your prospect is saying no doesn't mean that no is the actual answer. That's a very important one. There has been many great best practices from agenda setting, upfront contract setting, building a relationship with, uh, with a customer through discovery process, through the qualification, understanding priorities and the best practices around it, where we go wrong, what we should be doing instead, evaluation of buying process and securing next steps. Thank you so much, Madison, for being with us today on Asia Growth Forecast. And everybody, thank you for listening and see you soon on the next episode. Bye. Thank you so much. Love being here and love the conversation. Thanks, Ramka. Thanks for tuning into HubSpot Asia Growth Forecast today. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever you're listening to this show. Oh, and one more thing. If you found the discussion valuable, share it with at least one more person who you think would enjoy listening to it. That's it for this episode and we will see you real soon on Asia Growth Forecast.